You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. This means that we donate 1% of our time and 1% of our revenue to conservation. If you want to find out how you or your business can get certified or learn more about the organization, visit fishandwildlife.org. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. And as always, we have another awesome episode. Today, we're going to be talking to the guy who, there's one of two guys who really schooled me to South Dakota. And today, we're going to be talking with one of them. His name is Justin Jensen. He lived in Minnesota. He bounced around in South Dakota working for, I think, the Fish and Game Department. Then he made his way out to Idaho, where he currently lives. And uh, today's episode is kind of a hunter profile slash adventure type uh, podcast because he talks about uh, hunting whitetails in Idaho. And uh, he's been pretty successful the last three years on two great whitetails out in those hills. And uh, one really good, uh, I think it's, uh, he flew into that Frank Church wilderness area out there. And uh, that's like millions of acres of public ground in the middle of nowhere. He took an airplane out there, he shot a real good mule deer. And uh, the stories that he's going to share are I'm a little bit jealous because I want those types of stories, right? I really don't care about the size of the buck or, or the antlers or, you know, that kind of thing. It's the adventure, the stories, the memories that I'm really interested in. And uh, that's why I brought him on the podcast today to talk about that. Um, really, really cool podcast, man. And that's why I brought him on. So uh, if you're not following the Sportsman's Nation or the Nine Finger Chronicles or the Hunting Gear Podcast on uh, on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to those. If you're not following me on Instagram or Facebook, uh, go like or click or whatever it is you do over, over there because uh, um, lots of awesome content. If you have yet to see the Nine Finger Kitchen on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel, go check that out. And uh, we're going to do a, a quick commercial real quick. And as always, I'm very ill-prepared. Um, I just got the kids out of the house, too. Like, uh, it's, there's nobody in my house right now. So I'm working. And I might get done before dinner time tonight so I can actually do what a normal person does in the evenings and play with my kids and uh, watch the news and cook and clean and all that other crap. But anyway... Uh, let's see here. Today, we're going to be talking about 
Wasp Archery and Vortex Optics. Now, if you guys haven't, uh, if you guys haven't heard me talk about Wasp, it's all I, I love their broadheads, and it's one of those it's one of those products that I feel very confident with. Um, I've been using their heads for years. I think there was only two, maybe three heads that weren't wasps that I had on my arrow tips uh, throughout the last, you know, since I, I cannonballed into bow hunting in 2006. Um, huge fan of the Boss 4 blade, fixed blade. I'm going to be using that uh, head on if I draw my elk hunt. And then I would probably stick with that same head. Uh, on my South Dakota mule deer hunt but if I don't do my elk hunt and I'm just hunting mule deer and whitetails this year then I will probably go to the jackhammer mechanical those are my two favorite heads right I know they have some other new heads that they probably want promoted but those are my two favorite heads made in America awesome durability awesome like the best material the best design and engineering and they kill shit right straight up so uh, if you want to find out more information about wasp wasparchery.com and you can use the discount code nine fingers uh 2020 i think that's the latest one nine fingers 2020 and uh, you can save 20 percent off your purchase if these discount codes that i'm preaching on here don't work dude email me or hit me up on facebook and instagram and uh, i'll get you the right discount code so uh, i'm pretty sure this is the the most recent one nine fingers the number nine followed by the word fingers 2020 next uh the next product that i want to talk about real quick vortex optics just a company that's doing really good things they are trying to promote the outdoors and they're trying to promote like everything that i love and that's why I love working with these guys because they're passionate about the the category that they're marketing in, and that's hunting, right? I'm I love hunting, and although you know, I like I I'm not a firearms guy, and I admitted this to them in one of my one of my uh, 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 meetings that I've had with them. I'm not a firearms guy. I own one Mossberg 20 gauge without a scope on it. I'm an archery guy. I, I love their binoculars. I love their spotting scopes when I'm out west. Their rangefinders are awesome. And I'm telling you right now, they have the they have the staff to back up the product, if that makes sense. Really awesome people who work for the company, who care about your success, who care about how you think about their products. And they have this VIP warranty where if you break or damage it, you send it in, they fix it for free, then send it back to you. And they have some uh, really cool products out that I'm uh, interested in uh, taking a look at. And that is, uh, what is it? What's the thing I'm looking Oh, their tripod. The tripod is going to be badass, and I can't wait to get one of those in my hands. And the last thing is uh, check out Vortex Edge. for If you are a firearm guy, uh, the, uh, Vortex has started this new thing called Vortex Edge. revolves around firearm training to make you more accurate, to uh, help you understand how firearms work. And they have a whole bunch of different classes from intro, intro level to uh, professional level, if you want to call it that. Uh, so go to uh, vortexoptics.com, check out all their products, and check out uh, Vortex Edge as well while you're there. With all that said, let's get into today's Hunter Profile Adventure podcast, I guess, with my man, Justin Jensen. Three, two, one. 
All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Justin Jensen. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Dan? It's going good, man. And I gotta, I gotta let everybody know. There's two guys who have kind of, uh, I guess, schooled me to the game uh, of South Dakota, right? And you're one of them. <laughs> and I hunted. You know, we we texted a lot. We uh, shared information, or actually, you shared it with me. And uh, you kind of said, hey, you might want to start off here. First year into South Dakota, the guy I went with kills an absolutely giant old buck um, out of uh, one of the spots that you kind of, uh, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat it all that you told me about. We went in there and got it done. And, uh, dude, I am now hooked on South Dakota. I know it. Uh yeah, I've cut my teeth on Western, uh, not my whole life, but uh, once moving out in South Dakota and living out in that area for a couple of years, uh, archery hunting mule deer is just something I love, fell in love with out there. Yeah, it's definitely not easy, but at the same time, it's def like I don't see it being terribly hard at the same time it is completely different though than you know the the tree stand hunting that i'm used to and uh that shows in my uh oh and three attempt so far at uh, at uh, heading to south dakota and trying to get the job done there yeah i know the feeling i grew up hunting in minnesota sitting in the tree stand and uh spot and stock mule deer hunting is a whole different ball game yeah i never i i guess i never notched a tag out there in a mule deer I got an antelope by luck, but uh, I wasn't able to notch that mule deer tag. Yeah. So let's uh, talk a little bit about this uh, timeline and how you ended up in Idaho and with stop with a stop in South Dakota or whatever. So you're from Minnesota originally. Yep. Okay. And then I uh, I chose to do my undergrad at South Dakota State in uh, Brookings. It's on the east side there. Okay. And what field was and that I- in? Uh, wildlife management. Okay. So what type of things do you study in wildlife management? Um, a lot of the different research tools that we use. And, uh, I mean, you take a, a wide variety of classes in that degree where, I mean, you're taking some fish classes, you're taking some bird classes, you're taking some large mammal classes. Um, I, I think I took soils and uh, grassland uh, ecology. So kind of just a wide variety of animals and the natural world. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite of all the animals that you've studied so far and that you maybe did your undergrad out there? Is there some animal that you, I don't just really gravitated to or found the most interesting? Uh, when I was a kid, um, I told my dad I was going to be a bighorn sheep biologist. And so I kind of knew where I wanted to go in life. But uh, during my undergrad, I was able to get a job at a research facility on, on campus there with a PhD student working with bighorn sheep. So I got to spend a year and a half working with her, doing research. And uh, that ev- or evidently got me where I am today, I guess, out in Idaho. Yeah. So... Man, that's crazy. Like I, when I was a kid, I always said to myself, Hey, I want to be a DNR. I want to work for the DNR. I want to be a DNR officer and, you know, 
because I, at the time I just, I loved hunting. I loved animals. I loved being outside nature, bugs, birds, all that stuff. And I never really kind of went in like, uh, went into existence, I guess you could say. I took other routes. I mean, I'm here still talking about nature in a way, but one of like the profession that you're in, whether it's on the law side or the animal side, you know, where you're doing the research, the habitat management, that kind of stuff. It sounds to me that you have to be like 100% committed to your job, not only from a time frame, like a time aspect, but uh, as like almost a passion aspect too. Yes. Uh, this field is very, very competitive. There's a lot of people that love what we love and uh, want to do the same thing. So you need to work hard, whatever positions you got, and just kind of work your way up and uh, hopefully get a foot in the door. Yeah. So that that is, uh, I, I mean, even once you get the job, right? I mean, I talked to, there's a, one of the uh, DNR officers, he's the, you know, the, the law side of the thing that uh, I run into and I, I communicate with every hunting season in, um, in and around the area that I grew up. And he's, he is working all the time. And I mean like all the time. And whether he's tracking down leads for a poacher or, you know, helping someone tag a deer or, you know, one thing, you know, the, you know, these guys are, are out and about all the time. Uh, do you have, uh, like standard work hours? Because you messaged me about this elk herd that was damaging some farmer's field or something like that. And that sounds like uh, a little bit more than your average nine to five. Yeah, there's no such thing as an average day in this field. Um, you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, there's been a couple of days last week where we thought we were going to be in the office working on some office work, and five seconds later we're out the door running an hour and a half away. So that's kind of one of the things I love about it is uh, no two days are the same, and um, you just never know what's going to happen at work. So yeah. you could have an eight-hour day or you could have a 12-hour day. You never know. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, like a, as far as the jobs that you've had South Dakota uh, or, uh, in Idaho now, what's the like favorite, what's your favorite part of your job? Paperwork? <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. Uh, being out in the field. So, uh, I've got to do a lot of fun things, uh, a lot of capture work and, um, for research and stuff, putting out collars or, um, just monitoring animals or doing surveys and different types of jobs I've done. So obviously getting out and just spending time, uh, either it's tracking animals or picking up dead callers, you know, from a dead elk or a deer or something, whatever gets you out of the office. And yeah. That happens more times than not. So, yeah, that's, uh, I'll tell you what, man, that sounds like a lot of fun to be honest with you. Yeah. You go to work with a smile on your face, no matter what. So yeah. that's why I love it. And that's why I'm doing it. Yeah. So one thing that I always I think is awesome about uh, someone like yourself, who's out and about all the time, you get, you know, where the animals are at, right? If, especially if you're, you're, you're tracking collared elk, you know, where the, the elk herd is at on a specific mountain or, or things like that. So when it comes time to hunt, you have almost you, you probably have some of the best uh, insight and intel into whatever animal you're hunting 
because you're out and about all the time. Does that, does that actually help you? You know, to a point, it gives you an idea of where the elk are or deer or whatever. Um, but you still got to hunt them. I mean, an elk's an elk and they could be on this side of the mountain one day and they could be five miles away the next day. So you never know. And it's, it's still hunting. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they, they definitely move a lot. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, uh, this transition into Idaho that you've made and, and some of the success that you've had since you've moved there. And the cool thing about this is there's whitetail success, right? And when people start to think about hunting out West, like the last one, some of the last animals you're thinking about is the, the, the whitetail, right? Like the mule deer, the elk, the antelope, things like that. So it's awesome when you're, you know, you're sending me text messages and pictures of some of the whitetails that you're, you're running into out there. And I don't know if it's necessarily at sleeper state level quite yet, but there's good whitetails in Idaho, man. Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, even though, you know, residents get a tag every year, um, non-residents, I think they just changed it to limit non-residents a little bit, but there's still a lot of hunting pressure. But up here in northern Idaho, there's um, a lot of thick country that, even with all the predators around, bucks can get big. And then go a long time without getting seen by anybody. And that's kind of pretty cool out there that you never know what you're going to run into. Yeah. And, you know, just listening to some of my other buddies and yourself talk about, uh, you know, and I, I, I hate to mention antler size, but, you know, one thing that drives people crazy and gets people excited is, is big bucks. And not necessarily just the age class of it, but uh, it sounds to me like, there are also big bucks in Idaho as well, as far as whitetails yeah, are concerned. Yeah, there definitely can. Yeah, there definitely can be. Um, I know I've seen a handful of 170s every year. People are turning up. And um, I talked to a guy working for Fish and Game. He works at a wildlife um, habitat nursery. So they, they grow a bunch of. Uh, plants and shrubs and stuff for wildlife habitat and anyways talking to this kid he shot uh i think it was like 20 some point buck it had i think like 11 brow tines on one side 12 brow tines on the other side and it scored like upper 190s and this was i mean 10 years ago but yeah it was like top five bucks in the state yeah that's crazy that's awesome though um what's the what what part of the state do you live in uh, I live in uh, Lewiston, Idaho, so kind of like the two-thirds of the way north. Not all the way in the Panhandle, but kind of closer to the central part of the state. Gotcha. So are how far are you from, like, Stanley then? Are you north of Stanley? So, yeah, we're about a uh, five-hour drive from Stanley. Oh, so you're way um, up there then still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, and so – the state in general, from your, you know, from your knowledge of, of hunting whitetails out there, what is the whitetail herd like out there? I mean, are we talking really good numbers, really good quality? What, what would you consider an average whitetail buck out there? Um, I think our herd is really well, uh, especially on like where we live is kind of like the West slope of the Rockies. So we're kind of right on the edge of some egg ground. Um, 
And then if you go further east, you can get kind of onto the foothills and then up into the mountains and stuff. Um, our herd is definitely good. There's a lot of whitetails around. Uh, I think a good buck, the two that I'm looking at on the wall right now are probably 130, 135. I mean, that's, that's a really good buck for out here. Um, just how thick it is. It's, it's hard to, to find them and pattern them. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, what's the habitat like? I, I mean, obviously Southern Idaho is a little bit less hilly, right? And then as we start getting North the, you know, into the Frank church and all that craziness, it can get, it can get gnarly back in there. So where are these whitetails living? Yeah. So it's, uh, the habitat or the ecosystem we kind of live in is kind of out of that Pacific Northwest, um, area. We get rain from the ocean quite a bit and that makes a lot of vegetation grow. Um, a lot of these forests are really thick, uh, and we got a lot of rivers and creeks and drainages. And so it's super steep and it's super thick. Um, there's also a lot of edge habitat. So logging is pretty proficient up here. And there's a lot of clear cuts and then some old log or old clear cuts that are regrown. And um, there's a lot of edge and that's, that's what the white tails are thriving in. Okay. Um, is there a habitat that is more conducive to holding larger numbers? Cause the way I, th- I don't know, th- and I've never hunted there before, but I'm assuming that up in the mountains, they're, they're more scattered and limited as opposed to on the, in the lower elevations, maybe near, uh, like the pivots and the ag circles and whatnot. Yeah. So a white tail is a white tail, no matter where it lives. Right. It's right. going to want three things. It's going to want cover. It's going to want water and it's going to want a food source. Well, up here, there's tons of cover because it's thick forest everywhere. And then there's water literally everywhere. There's no shortage of water. And the biggest thing is finding food. And that is more in those kind of clear cuts and um, old burns, stuff like that. And that's kind of their main food source. But that scatters out deer uh, quite a bit. So it's not like they're herded up by any means. Okay. So what kind of terrain are you hunting them in? I take it north, so a little bit more aggressive terrain. Um, yeah, so I can't say I've hunted like a spot more than twice. When I go out hunting, there's just so much land that you can hunt that I, I've never hunted a spot long enough to figure it out. So um, I'm usually jumping around, um, just looking for that edge habitat, looking for a food source whether that be an old clear cut or a burn or something like that. And, um, hopefully get lucky and run into a buck. Nice. So, uh, how, okay. You've hunted in Minnesota, so you know how to do the tree stand hunting. What is the approach then to hunting whitetails in a mountainous terrain? You know, I've talked to some guys that actually set up tree stands, um, and sit on, no travel corridors or you can kind of find pinch points down like a creek drainage or something like that uh i haven't sat in a tree stand for a very long time so usually i'm trying to get up high and be able to kind of glass on like a you know an old clear cut or something like that and i that's most of my whitetail hunting is just kind of getting up where i can get the best vantage point because if you get into the trees you can't see 15 yards and you're going to push everything that that's around. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how often, uh, do you move? I mean, are, are you sitting up there trying to glass and then wait for them to bed kind of like mule deer hunting or are they on their feet longer? It, like, how are you making your moves in, in once you locate them or are you taking some of the tactics from tree stand hunting out to the, uh, the Western world? Well, it's kind of hard for me to explain that because the three hunts that I've done have been all wildly different. Um, one, we hunted out of a boat and, uh, he dropped me off on the reservoir. I hiked up to a opening where I could kind of see a couple hundred yards and I had to buck walk by at 25 yards following a doe in. And then the second buck I shot in 19, I was, uh, down in the salmon river breaks in that Frank church wilderness. I hiked in five miles looking for mule deer and ended up running into pretty nice whitetail back there. And then, um, yeah, this last year uh, was Frank Church Wilderness Mule Deer Hunt. So every year has been different, and I've just <laughs> – I can't give you a true, like, this is how you do it situation because I really don't know. <laughs> well, I tell you, whatever you're doing is working, my friend. <laughs> it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, so when it comes from, – from what you've noticed, right, let's say, uh, you know – you say, hey, Dan, you need to come out to Idaho and hunt some whitetails with me or, you know, go up there and try to shoot, you know, shoot something. All of a sudden you can't make it. So I don't have you to help me guide around. Where should I be looking for these whitetails at? I mean, are they, you know, you said they hang around in a lot of edge habitat, but are they leaving sign like a Midwestern buck leaves sign on, you know, trees, like scrapes and rubs and, and things like that? Yeah, so even though my hunting has been different, I've spent a lot of time shed hunting um, those last couple springs uh, right around where I live, and I've learned a lot kind of like what to look for. Um, just kind of looking at the big picture, you can look at a side of a mountain, and, you know, it's it could be 4,000 feet at one spot, and it can be, you know, 2,000 feet down in this creek drainage. Um, I kind of look at this big picture, but then I try to break it down into smaller pieces where I'm going to look for either like a ridge line or a bench or, um, you know, that sharp edge on a clear cut. And that's kind of where I found a lot of sign. And a lot of my sheds I've found too this spring has been on these like micro habitats within the big picture. Okay. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that elk kind of travel, all over the place throughout the, you know, throughout a day, right? They can be five miles away in a day or, or whatever. Are these deer, um, and you can comment on what you know, whether it's whitetails or, or mule deer, are they traveling long distances as well, or do they kind of stick closer to a, I guess, a quote-unquote core area? Uh, it's actually pretty interesting that uh, Idaho Fishing Game has kind of learned that some of these whitetails have, like a migration in the winter. Oh, really? Um, they'll uh, go 20 to 50 miles from up in the mountains where they kind of spend their summer and fawn up there. And then when the snow gets too deep in this winter, they'll actually come down off the mountains, come into some lower elevations, just like a mule deer would. Okay. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do on Instagram is watch uh, every year. I think it's the Mule Deer Foundation uh, posts the, uh, the travel of this one collared doe 
that a mule deer doe that they have. And it's a very long distance that she travels every year from her winter habitat to her, uh, you know, to her summer or yeah, summer range to, to fawn and then come back and, and she does it, you know, takes that trip twice a year, once there and once back up. Um, so whitetails are, are somewhat doing that, but not necessarily on that big a scale. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of, there's a saying kind of like that is like chasing the green. Um, you know, when that snow burns off in the higher, higher elevations, green up comes later and later, the higher up you go. So those animals are kind of following the green, you know, the best food source is going to be that lush green forage. And then, um, they'll just kind of follow that snow line and get the best forage they can, you know, yeah. and the more high quality forage that they can have throughout a summer is going to make them, um, you know, more physically fit and healthier animals. So yeah. that's their, that's their point of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. makes sense. Um, so does the migration take place at all during the hunting season to where you can use that migration to your advantage and just maybe, I mean, is it, it's not like a caribou, right? Where these caribou are just like marching in front of you all day long, right? It, it's, is it like that or is it a, a smaller scale? Uh, well, I, I helped work a check station with Idaho Fish and Game. And um, this area where this check station was, a couple guys were talking how it is kind of like that, where these whitetails have this travel pattern coming out of the mountains and they use the same drainage. And I guess some of these hunters set up on this drainage knowing year after year that the deer will come by. So they just set up and wait and eventually a buck will walk by or you know whatever they're looking for and so yeah it's kind of similar to a caribou hunt but just whitetails i yeah. guess yeah man that's awesome that's crazy um and you know because i i never thought that whitetails migrated at all you know in some way shape or form i thought they they did maybe a core area adjustment during winter and summer months you know green up versus no green at all to eat you know but uh, never on on that scale. So that's really interesting, man. Um, now, when when you're when you're out there, and do you have a favorite tactic or strategy that you use? It sounds to me like that Frank Church hunt. Well, that was for a mule deer, right? Was that Frank Church hunt, or did you shoot a? Yeah, white last fall was mule deer. Okay, so the, well, I've been in there twice. I did them a little different. So one I hiked in, and the other one we flew in. Okay. So, um, is it just one of these things where like, I, I, I guess I'll let you explain it. What is, what is the strategy that you seems that, that you seem to have fallen into to get that, the success and that can be on whitetails or mule deer. Well, it comes from South Dakota and hunting those archery mule deer that I just fell in love with glassing and, uh, spotting an animal from a distance and then trying to put a move on it. Yeah. So that's what I've been trying to do the last couple of years. Um, just get in a good position where you can see the most country you can and then wherever that animal is and, uh, make a move on it, you know? Yeah. That's awesome, man. What's the, uh, what's the overlap? Like do the whitetail and the mule deer overlap habitat or are, are they mixed in perfectly equal or is there like a line like uh, in, in elevation or somewhere where it's like, okay, the whitetail ends here and this is where the mule deer habitat starts. 
Well, looking at Idaho as like a whole state, um, right in the center of Idaho, you got the Salmon River that kind of cuts the state from the north to a south. And looking at that Salmon River, if you go north of the river, you're going to get a majority of whitetails. There is going to be pockets of mule deer, um, especially way up north in uh, the Panhandle. There's some higher elevation mountains that are kind of suitable for more mule deer. And then the rest, lower mountains and stuff, are more whitetails. And then once you get south of that Salmon River, um, the habitat kind of shifts, and then it's more drier. Um, there's not as much water around, more sagebrush, um, and then there's a lot more mule deer down south. Okay. Uh, is is there a uh, – so there, you say there's more mule deer down south and then more whitetails up north? Yeah. Okay. Yep, in general. Okay. Um, which, which kind of I, – I would think that in the flatter lands, and maybe it's because of uh, food availability that uh, – um, that there would be more whitetails down in the southern part of the state, and the mule deer would be up in the, you know, up in the bigger mountains. Yeah, I don't know if that has to do with um, weather, like weather patterns and stuff. Uh, it kind of changes the uh, the amount of water. So further south you get, the drier it gets, um, and maybe that drier habitat. Uh, doesn't support the food that whitetails can live off of. Yeah. So that's why, why mule deer are thriving more where there's sagebrush and stuff. And, and you, you wouldn't see a whitetail in a sagebrush flat. So, yeah. Um, I know in Southeastern Idaho, um, down along the snake river, there's a lot more egg fields and stuff down there. Um, there is whitetails down there in a couple pockets, but majority of the habitat supports mule deer. Okay. I don't know if it was you or my other South Dakota uh, contact who I was talking with mentioned that a whitetail uh, can digest or eat like two, two over 200 different species of grasses and a mule deer might be able to eat 400 different species of, of grasses. Was that you who was telling me that? Wow. No, I don't think so, but that's pretty astounding. Yeah. So so a mule deer, you know, you look, and, and like you mentioned to me earlier, a mule deer uh, can be out in almost a desert-type scenario, right? No water, no, just like the sagebrush, the, uh, like, just these little pockets of grass, and, and they're, they can eat that where a whitetail uh, can't eat that. So uh, it's cool. To, I don't know. I, I found that pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you, you do all this research uh, on there. And you mentioned predators, right? And are you hunt are you hunting in grizzly bear country when you go up, up into like the Frank Church and stuff like that? Areas like that? No. So, so in Idaho, there's uh, kind of two areas, main areas that hold uh, grizzly bears. Um, one's kind of that Yellowstone ecosystem down in southeastern Idaho. And there's a handful of grizzly bears down there. And then there's also a second pocket up north of us about two, two and a half hours in the Selkirk Mountains. Um, they come out of British Columbia. Okay. And uh, I haven't hunted in either, either of those spots. Okay. Um, but are, are there whitetails in those areas? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I'm sure the guys that hunt up there run into grizzly bears when they're hunting whitetails. So 
yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. That's very that is that is crazy. So, other than a hunter, what would you say in some of the areas that you hunt, some of the biggest predators or threats to uh, a whitetail or a mule deer would be? Um, yeah, around here, most of the state has wolves, uh, mountain right. lions, black bears. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of predators around. Uh, and hunters too so yeah do you ever yeah. see do you see any All of those of predators do you ever see any of those predators when you're out hunting like bear or mountain lion or wolves when you're chasing deer oh yeah we would go bear hunting and stuff all the time in the spring sometimes you see them in the fall elk hunting um i have yet to see a wolf i've come close and like i was driving we were going to pick up an elk collar and the buddy in the passenger seat saw it right as it ran into the trees and we stopped they were right off the right off the road and we stopped and looked and they just killed an elk like this cow elk was steaming and um couple wolf tracks in there i went back three days later with snowmobiles to go get this collar and i went and stopped and looked where that cow was and uh it was bones like yeah like you boiled all the bones and there was nothing on it not even a a scratch of meat, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, so they just destroyed I, it. Yeah. Another time I went in for another collar and shut off the four-wheeler, and all of a sudden a, a wolf howled in the basin that I was going to go look for this collar. One howled, and then two howled, and then like three, four, five howled. They all howled <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> right where I needed to go. Well, I never saw them, but uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And then you ended up having to... Uh... Like, do you carry a sidearm when you go out and, and retrieve those things? I didn't that day, no. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you probably start. Because I, I don't know, these YouTube videos of these wolves, like, taking down the family dog out west is, like, these things are straight killers. Oh, yeah. They can definitely do some damage, and <laughs> they're probably the best hunter on the mountain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so... um Another thing that I wanted to talk about with you, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, I, I don't, I, I heard this, that a whitetail is a, more of an aggressive animal compared to a mule deer. And therefore, the aggressive tendencies of a whitetail will push mule deer out of their, own, of their habitat, right? So not necessarily like an invasive species, but they don't necessarily coexist real well. Do you have any research or like sightings of that? I I haven't looked up any research about that, but I've definitely heard the same thing. Um, I would I would definitely believe that. I know just watching the rut and watching whitetails the way they act, they're definitely more aggressive than a mule deer. And pushing a, a mule deer buck out of an area probably wouldn't be a big deal for them. Yeah, even though even though they're kind of a smaller a smaller species. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's the, uh, how much did your, your, uh, your whitetail bucks weigh just out of uh, best guess? I, Cause I take it you had to quarter them up to get them out. Uh, the one that, the one picture I sent you with, uh, the water in the background, I drug that one down to the water and it was heavy. I, that was a, a mature buck. I, if I were to guess that thing was probably 220 maybe. Okay. Um, the other one, I don't know, 180, maybe 200. Okay. Um, definitely a mature animal. 
Yeah, for sure. And is that pretty good for, I don't, I don't know. Is that pretty good for a Western like Idaho whitetail as far as body size? Is that average or is that a little bit bigger than average? I think that's, that's a good buck. Um, I mean, we don't have corn or soybeans here, so yeah. most of these bucks are growing off of, you know, twigs and grass, so their bodies don't quite get as big as your Iowa whitetails. Gotcha. All right. What? So, um, let's see. Three years ago, you shot a whitetail. Two years ago, you shot a whitetail. Yep. Last year, you shot your a mule deer, right? Yep. Right? So, what's your goal uh, for this upcoming season, 2021. Hopefully we can draw a moose tag. Okay. <laughs> We've been putting in for, my wife and I have been putting in for moose the last couple of years and, uh, haven't had any luck yet, but that's our kind of main goal. Hopefully we draw one of us, draw a moose tag. If that, uh, we don't get lucky in that draw, we'll get an elk tag somewhere. Um, my dad and I have a couple points for, uh, South Dakota rifle that we're, we're going to try to put in for that. And hopefully we draw a rifle tag in South Dakota. And if we don't draw that, I'll end up going back to the Frank church. Okay. The guys that I went with last year are planning on going back. So, and that's a, that's a fly in hunt, right? Yeah. So, uh, we jumped on a, a little small plane and flew in. I don't know how many, how uh, many miles in, I suppose, but into a little airstrip along the middle fork of the salmon river and hunted off the airstrip. Okay. Well, hiked in from the airstrip, I suppose. So what's, what's the logistics like of a hunt like that? Cause you, you talked to me, uh, this was what last year, or the year before. And you're like, dude, if you come out here, we're going to, you know, we're going to go into the Frank church. You should do this with me. And I'm like, so all I do then is I, I daydream about, you know, flying in a plane, getting dropped off and, and all this stuff. Um, what is that? What's that hunt entail? How long are you out for? Uh, what kind of gear are you packing in? All that stuff. Yeah, so I went with two other guys on this trip. Um, neither of us have done that hunt before. Uh, hunting out here, you, you kind of learn to backpack a little bit to get away from people. So this Frank Church hunt, we planned on a week of being back there. Um, we had just kind of picked a random airstrip um, from one of the guys uh, that went with us, his boss had hunted from that airstrip and kind of gave us a couple waypoints to check out and a couple drainages to check out. So once we had that idea of where we're going to go, we just kind of got all of our gear together. I mean, we brought one um, kind of like a, a three-person sleeper tent with a stove, and then we all brought food in enough for seven days back there. There was a cabin at the airstrip that we were able to kind of stash some of our gear in. And then we hiked in four and a half miles away from the airstrip to get away from more people. Okay. Uh, and back up into this drainage. Okay. So, uh, and then that's where you, you, you hiked those four and a half miles every day or was you hiked four and a half miles spiked and then went out from there? Yeah, we hiked in four and a half miles and then okay. set up a spike camp for, I think three days we gave ourselves enough food for three days and then uh, if we needed to one of us would run back and grab some more food and come back but what elevation were you at that was the plan i think we're pretty close to the river i'm just gonna guess i i'd have to look but i'm guessing like four thousand probably oh, really okay where we spiked at 
and then we had to go from our spike we had to go up 1200 to 2000 feet to get up on these ridges to get onto the deer every morning we hiked oh, okay. up that way dang i tell you what there's nothing better than a a straight up hike in the morning right away to just wake you up i mean i when i was in colorado our base camp was at ten thousand feet and we um had to hike up to somewhere around 11 to get started on the elk and that first hundred yards going straight up your muscles are already burning you know you go from a dead you know resting heart rate to the max heart rate in like a hundred yards and you're just like (laughs) oh my god is is it that big of a struggle out there or it, the lower elevation? Because the picture you sent me, I mean, the terrain looks very steep. Yes, it was very steep. Um, we kind of camped, camped down in this creek bottom. So we had water, uh, easy, easily accessible water. And then we would hike up top and then just kind of hunt the ridges all day and then come back down at night. But yeah, hiking in the dark right away. It could be, you know, 25 degrees and you're hiking in a t-shirt straight up, sweating, and you get to the top and all of a sudden you stop moving and you start shivering and throw every layer of clothes on you got in your backpack. Yeah, man, that's crazy. That's definitely a hunt that I, I want to do. Did did everybody in your group walk away with a deer or was it just you? No, we were all successful. Um, <laughs> we went the first week in November and... Uh, we kind of had some bad weather, like good weather, but bad weather for hunting. It was 65 and sunny every single day. So absolutely gorgeous, but not the weather in November you want back there. If you're hoping on a meal deer rut, yeah. um, as we left, uh, left the airstrip, we ran into a guy who was finishing up his hunt. He had shot a seven by seven, like 30 inch wide meal deer. And he said the bucks were just running everywhere. So we got all excited and you know, we hiked four miles up the trail ran into another group that were just finishing up and they were camped right at the base of our drainage. We were going to go up. They hunted all week and they had like four spikes and they said that was all they saw. So we were kind of like, Oh man, what, you know, what are, what are our standards here? What are we going to kind of see? And, uh, I ended up shooting a, a respectable four by four. And then, um, couple days later uh my other buddy he shot a really nice mature buck super heavy deep forks um and then the other guy he shot a nice three by three on on the second to last day yeah man i tell you what that kind of that kind of adventure hunt is is something i want really bad uh so don't be uh in in the next five years don't be uh surprised if i invite myself onto uh, one of your hunts <laughs> yeah definitely come on out man that's crazy after i shot that deer i shot that deer first day and uh i quartered up half half of it that night got it back down to camp so then the whole next the second day of the hunt i just had to take care of the rest of the deer to get it back to camp yeah and I'm, i hiked up to the the buck finished quartering him, quartering him up and it was just like the absolute gorgeous day probably 45 50 degrees sunny not a puff of wind and after i was done i just sat down and just enjoyed you know no sound yeah i mean i was the only one for miles and it was just something you dream of not a worry in the world yeah man i tell you um 
that's one thing that's really surprised that surprises me when you're up at the high elevation. There's no or in the middle of nowhere, I should say, other than maybe some birds chirping, the quiet is almost deafening, right? It's so it's like here in Iowa, the wind is always blowing and you can hear a train in the background or a tractor or a um uh a, a grain bin an air dryer kick on or you know a city noise or whatever but out in in the complete wild there is nothing and it is one of my i'll be honest it's one of probably one of my favorite sounds definitely it makes you want to keep going back doesn't it right every single year multiple times (laughs) so um I, i want to ask you about the the prep for the the deer because you shot it you mentioned you had to take multiple trips uh down to get it back how how did you keep that deer cool while or the meat cool while you were waiting for the plane to come back and pick you up so it was like multiple days right yeah so i ended up shooting my deer first day and so we had six more days back there um where we set up camp was in this uh creek bottom and there was steep mountains on both sides of us. We, we nicknamed it the refrigerator just cause probably got 10 minutes of sunlight a day. And, uh, it was pretty cool down there. So once I got it off the mountain, it was in the shade, um, had that cool breeze. And then, uh, day three, I think I made the trek back to camp, um, brought my buck back and then grabbed, uh, three more days worth of food for everybody. Okay. And once I got it back to camp, I just kind of set it up in the trees, hung it in the shade a little bit. And, uh, it should be good then. Yeah. So it was cool enough to where you didn't need ice or anything like that to, uh, to pack, like to, to keep it cool. The, the environment, uh, was, was enough. Yeah. It was pretty weird. Uh, getting up on top of those ridges, you could be on the South facing side that's got all the sun and it'd be 65, even though it's 65 and sunny, you'd be sweating, but then you step off on the North side of the mountain and you're in the shade and you've got every coat on so it's like as soon as you're in the shade you drop 20 degrees and even though the sun's shining and it's plenty cool to keep a deer yeah uh nice and cold what were the what were the deer doing uh when you were hunting them were they in the sun like chilling or were they in on the north facing slopes where the you know where there was more timber or less timber or or what was their daily routine how did you locate them and 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 go about that yeah so um since it was so sunny and so warm especially that first week in november we found a lot of the deer on the north facing slopes in the shade i mean the deer didn't want to be out in the sun cooking with their winter coat on either so they were standing on the north facing slopes and you just tried to find those open uh old burns on the north sides and that's had had the most food so we were just kind of glassing those north facing slopes and that's usually where all the deer were um we saw way more does than bucks yeah i think besides the three bucks that we shot we saw maybe one spike and one fork horn other than that i mean we probably saw 100 does but the bucks just haven't came down to the mountains yet it was still a week early i think yeah well, that's awesome, man. Um, so you, 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 t- you told me how much you love South Dakota and now you're in Idaho, just living this wild man's life, right? Um, what do you like more South Dakota or Idaho? 
man, it's that's tough. There's parts that I love about South Dakota, and it's definitely like the wide open plains yeah. and sitting on a hillside glassing. I love that part. But Idaho is tugging at me too. We just have so much opportunity here. Um, every year you can get <laughs> your elk tag, a deer tag, a wolf tag, two bear tags, two lion tags, like three to six turkey tags, depending on where you go. Um, I mean, you, it's just a hunter's paradise out here and I'll definitely go back to visit South Dakota, but I definitely enjoy my time and what I get to spend hunting out here. Yeah. I'll tell you what, they kind of, uh, I don't, I don't want to say jacked around, but they, they really bumped up the, the elk, uh, cause you know, elk used to be over the, over the counter. Uh, and you could just go into a grocery store or wherever they were selling the tags, buy it and go hunt. Then they, it's not a draw right now for non-residents, is it? It's like a, a first come first serve, but I guess this past year, all of the non-resident uh, elk tags were sold out in like an hour and 30 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know they changed that up a little bit. Um, I think the, the biggest portion of that is just kind of spread hunters out a little bit. Um, there's been some concern about hunter crowding and a lot more hunters in certain areas than not. So they just kind of want to spread people out, give everybody an opportunity still, but yeah. um, just kind of limit your hunter to hunter interaction out there. Yeah. You mentioned uh, earlier, you know, like when I was in South Dakota, I, in the three trips that I went out, I ran into, while in the field, I've only ran into two hunters the whole time, that whole time. Then I ended up seeing other guys and, and made moves to different areas and just disappeared, right? No hunting pressure. Out there, you know, Idaho has, what? what is it, like 60% of its land is public land? So, or maybe like 50 or something, 50%. Anyway, it's a huge number. Uh, of acres is public land that you know hunters can access what is the hunting pressure like out there it definitely can vary um you know certain units on that western kind of rocky slope or on the west side of the mountains that are closer to town the closer to town you get the more hunting pressure there's going to be yeah um and the further you get away from town the less people you're going to run into even with all this logging, um, there's logging roads everywhere and people with four wheelers. And I mean, it's hard to get away, but if you want to get away from people, there's definitely ways to do it. Yeah. You just got to push yourself a little bit harder. Yeah. Well, man, I, I really hope that you connect with, uh, with a moose this year. Uh, I tell you what, two things happened uh, when I went to Idaho in 2014. I'm sitting down. I, I, we we went straight up the side of the mountain because we heard a bugle a long ways away. So we start walking up this mountain. And all of a sudden, I hear some crashing down into in this little gully below me where there's running water. And sure enough, uh, a, a very small bull moose kind of caught my scent or something. He took off running. And then... Uh, my buddy Mark, he was up at, he was higher than me and he was calling and all of a sudden we heard some cracking coming through the Aspens and this, this real thick, uh, thing and, you know, almost like a moose walking 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a moose or not, but I'm pretty sure it was a moose because I started to make a move on it, and uh, and I think it was probably the same moose uh, that that was there the day before. But uh, those things, you know, I look at an elk and I go, man, those are big. But then I look at a moose and I'm like, man, those are big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's some big animals. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy how uh, quiet they can be walking through. Oh yeah, thick absolutely. Woods like that, and never make a sound. Yeah, they can be as loud or as quiet as they want to. They're like, you know, obviously their environment. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, and uh, talk to us about Western whitetails and mule deers and, you know, uh, adventure hunting at its finest because uh, that Frank Church hunt is definitely on my list. Do you think a guy could be successful with a bow doing that same hunt? Uh, I think it would be very challenging. Um, I think that time of year, if you were to go with a bow, you'd want to go early. Uh and try to get up high. I think there's probably a couple airstrips that'll get you up higher, but um, it might be a challenge with the bow. Yeah. But I know there's guys that's done it and they've been successful. So yeah, yeah, worth a sure. shot. Yeah. Well, man, appreciate it, and good luck this upcoming season. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dan. I appreciate it. And there you have it, another episode in the books. Huge shout-out to Justin for taking time out of his day. Huge shout-out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. We have Vortex Optics, Wasp Broadheads, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, and Ozonics. Uh, Man, please go out and support those companies because they support me, and all of them do make really good products that I'm sure you can find confidence in. Uh, Other than that, Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles. Other than that, be good to your neighbor. Good vibes out, good vibes in, and uh, we will talk to you next time.